0: Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. One Day at Arl by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Copyright 1877. One Day at Arl, a tiny, scattered fishing hamlet on the northwestern English coast. There stood at the door of one of the cottages near the shore, a woman leaning against a lintel-post and looking out a woman who would have been apt to attract a stranger's eye too- a woman young and handsome. This was what a first glance would have taken in a second would have been apt to teach more and leave a less pleasant impression. She was young enough to have been girlish, but she was not girlish in the least. Her tall, lithe, well-knit figure was braced against the doorpost with a tense sort of strength. Her handsome face was just at this time as dark and hard an expression as if she had been a woman with years of bitter life behind her. Her handsome brows were knit, her lips were set, from head to foot she looked unyielding and stern of purpose, and neither form nor face belied her. The earliest remembrances of the coast people concerning Meg Lonus had not been over-pleasant ones. She had never been a favorite among them. The truth was they had half feared her, even as the silent, dogged, neglected child who used to wander up and down among the rocks and on the beach, working harder for her scant living than the oldest of them. She had never a word for them, and never satisfied their curiosity upon the subject of the treatment she received from the ill-conditioned old grandfather who was her only living relative, and this last peculiarity had rendered her more unpopular than anything else would have done. If she had answered their questions they might have pitied her. But as she chose to meet them with stubborn silence— They managed to show their dislike in many ways, until at last it became a settled point among them that the girl was an outcast in their midst. But even in those days she gave them back wrong for wrong and scorn for scorn, and as she grew older she grew stronger of will, less prone to forgive her many injuries and slights, and more prone to revenge them in an obstinate, bitter fashion. But as she grew older she grew handsomer too, and the fisher boys who had jeered at her in her childhood were anxious enough to gain her goodwill. The women flouted her still, and she defied them openly. The men found it wisest to be humble in their rough style, and her defiance of them was more scornful than her defiance of their mothers and sisters. She would revenge herself upon them, and did, until at last she met a wooer who was tender enough, it seemed, to move her. At least so people said at first. But suddenly the lover disappeared." and two or three months later the whole community was electrified by her sudden marriage with a suitor whom she had been wont to treat worse than all the rest. How she treated him after the marriage nobody knew. She was more defiant and silent than ever, and gossipers gained nothing by asking questions. So at last she was left alone. It was not the face of a tender wife waiting for a loving husband, the face that was turned toward the sea if she had hated the man for whom she watched she could not have seemed more unbending. Ever since her visitor had left her, she had had a visitor during the morning, she had stood in the same place, even in the same position, without moving, and when at last the figure of her husband came slouching across the sands homeward she remained motionless still. And surely his was not the face of a happy husband. Not a handsome face at its dull best, it was doubly unprepossessing then, As, pale and breathless, he passed the stern form in the doorway, his nervous, reluctant eyes avoiding hers. "'You'll find your dinner already on T.H. Table,' she said to him as he passed in. Everything was neat enough inside. The fireplace was clean and bright, the table was set tidily, and the meal upon it was good enough in its way. But when the man entered he cast an unsteady, uncomprehending glance around— and when he had flung himself into a chair he did not attempt to touch the food, but dropped his face upon his arm on the table with a sound like a little groan. She must have heard it, but she did not notice it even by a turn of her head, but stood erect and steadfast until he spoke to her. She might have been waiting for his words, perhaps she was. They canst come in and say what the has to say and be done, Wyatt, he said at last, in a sullen, worn-out fashion. She turned round then and faced him, harder to be met in her rigid mood than if she had been a tempest. The knows what I ha get tend to say, she answered, her tone strained and husky with repressed fierceness. I, the knows it well enough. I ha not much need to tell thee out. He come here this morning and he told me I want to know about thee, Seth Lonus, and more too. He come to me, put in the man. She advanced towards the table, and struck it once with her hand. This tout me a power, O lies, she said. This lied to me fro first to last to serve thy own eans, and this gained em. This lied me away fro th' man as were a th' world to me. But th' times come now when thy days o'er and his is calm agin. Ah, thou bitter villain! Does ta mind how the calm and tout me Dan Morgan had gone to th' fair at lake why that lass, O Barnegats? That were a lion. That were th beginning. Does Tom mind how the TOWED me as he made light o me when th lads and lasses plagued him and threeped him down as he didna mean to marry no such like lass as me. Him as were ready to defer me. That were a lion. That were th endin as the knew it would be for I spurned him fro me th very next day and wouldna listen when he tried to straighten out. But he got a th truth at last when he were fur fro here and he brought T.H. truth back to me today, and there's T.H. e'en fur thee, husband or no. The man lay with his head upon his arms until she had finished, and then he looked up all white and shaken and blind. Wilt thou listen if I speak to thee? he asked. I, she answered, listen to more lies. And she slipped down into a sitting posture on the stone doorstep, and sat there, her great eyes staring out seaward. Her hands lying loose upon her knee, and trembling. There was something more in her mood than resentment. In this simple gesture, she had broken down as she had never broken down in her life before. There was passionate grief in her face, a wild sort of despair, such as one might see in a suddenly wounded, untamed creature. Hers was not a fair nature. I am not telling the story of a gentle, true souled woman. I am simply relating the incidents of one bitter day whose tragic close was the ending of a rough romance. Her life had been a long battle against the world's scorn. She had been either on the offensive or the defensive from childhood to womanhood, and then she had caught one glimpse of light and warmth, clung to it yearningly for one brief hour, and lost it. Only today she had learned that she had lost it through treachery. She had not dared to believe in her bliss, even during its fairest existence. And so, when light-hearted, handsome Dan Morgan's rival had worked against him with false stories and false proofs, her fierce pride had caught at them, and her revenge had been swift and sharp. But it had fallen back upon her own head now. This very morning handsome Dan had come back again to Arl and earned his revenge, too, though he had only meant to clear himself when he told her what chance had brought to light. He had come back, her lover, The man who had conquered and sweetened her bitter nature as nothing else on earth had power to do. He had come back and found her what she was the wife of a man for whom she had never cared, the wife of the man who had played them both false, and robbed her of the one poor gleam of joy she had known. She had been hard and wild enough at first, but just now, when she slipped down upon the doorstep with her back turned to the wretched man within, when it came upon her that, traitor as he was, She herself had given him the right to take her bright-faced lover's place and usurp his tender power when the fresh sea breeze blew upon her face and stirred her hair and the warm, rare sunshine touched her. Even breeze and sunshine helped her to the end so that she broke down into a sharp sob, as any other woman might have done, only that the repressed strength of her poor warped nature made it a sob sharper and deeper than another woman's would have been. Yo, Matha left me that! She said. Yo mod ha left it to me. There were other women as would ha done yo. There were no other man on earth as would do me. Yo knowed what my life had been. And how it were hand to hand betwixt other folk and me. Yo knowed how much I cared for him and what he were to me. Yo mod ha let us be. I never harmed yo. I wouldn't harm yo so sinful cruel now. Will ta listen? He asked, laboring as if for breath. I. She answered him. I'll listen, fur the kana hurt me worser. T.H. day fur that's past and gone. Well, said he, listen and I'll try to tell yo. I know it's no use, but I mun say a word or two. Happen yo didna know I loved yo at your life. Happen yo didna, but it's true. When yo were a little lass gathering seaweed on T.H. sands I watched yo when I were afeard to speak, afeard lest yo gee me a sharp answer for yo were ready and now YM, wench. I've watched yo fur hours when I were a great lubberly lad, and when yo get to be a woman it were th same thing. I watched yo and did yo many a turn as yo know not about. When yo were searchin' for drift to keep up th fire after th out mon deed and left yo alone, happen yo never guessed as it were me as heaped little piles I th nooks o' th rocks so as yo'd think at th tide had left it there. Happen yo didn't, but it were true. I've stayed round the old house many a neat, feared some it mought harm yo, and yo know yo nigh were gave me a good word, Meg. And then Dan Common he made way why yo as he made way why I th rest, men and women and children. He nigh were worked and waited as I did, he nigh were and prayed as I did, everything come easy why him, everything I lose did come easy why him, and when I seed him so light-hearted and careless about what I were cravin', it run me daft and blind. Seemed like he couldna cling to it like I did and I begun to fight agin it. And when I heerd about that lass o' Barnegat's, I towed yo. And when I seen yo believed what I didna believe my sin, It run me dafter yet and I put more to what he said and held back some. And there it were and there it stands and if I've earned a curse. Lass, I've getten it. Fur, fur I thought yo'd been learnin to care for me a bit sin we were wed. And God knows I've tried to treat yo fair and kind I my poor way. It weren't a Dan Morgan's way, I know. His were a better way than mine, th sun shone on him somehow, but I've done my best and truest sin dot. Yo v done yori worse, she said. Th worst yo could do were to part us, and yo did it. If yo'd been half a man yo wouldna ha been content why a woman yo trapped was sayin' I, and who cared less for yo than she did fur th sand on th seashore. What's what yo v done sin to what yo did afore? Yo kind wipe that out, and yo kinda mak me forget. I hate yo, and th worse because I were beginning to be content a bit. I hate myson. I ought to ha-node, wildly. He would ha-node whether I were true or false, per chap, he would ha-node. She rocked herself to and fro for a minute, wringing her hands in a passion of anguish worse than any words, but a minute later she turned on him all at once. All's ower betwixt yo and me. She said with fierce heat. Do yo know that? If yo were half a man yo would. He sat up and stared at her humbly and stupidly. Eh? He said at last. There's not a man I all as is no more to me now than the art. She said. Some on em be honest and I canna say that o' thee. The can't get thee gone or I'll go myson. The knows me well and to know I'll ne'er forge thee for what this done. Aye, with the passionate hand wringing again. But that wouldn't undo it. He rose and came to her, Trembling like a man with the ague. Yo dun not mean that there, Meg, He said slowly. You dun not mean it word for word. Think a bit. Ay, but I do, She answered him, Setting her white teeth. Word for word. Think again, wench. And this time he staggered And caught hold of the doorpost. Is there nowt as go agin' th wrong? I've lived wi thee nigh a year. And I've loved thee twenty. Is there nowt for me? Ay, lass, do not be too hard. Thou was all lose harder than most womankind. Try and be a bit softer like Tardy S. T. H. Mon as risked his soul because he were a man and Darina lose thee. Thou laid thy head on my shoulder last neat. Ay, lass, lass, think o' that for one minute. Perhaps she did think of it, for surely she faltered a little. What woman would not have faltered at such a moment? But the next, the memory of the sunny. Half-boyish face she had clung to with so strong a love rushed back upon her and struck her to the heart. She remembered the days when her life had seemed so full that she had feared her own bliss. She remembered the gallant speeches and light-hearted wiles, and all at once she cried out in a fierce, impassioned voice, I'll ne'er forge thee, she said, I'll ne'er forge thee to th last day o' my life. What for should I? This broke my heart, thou villain, this broke my heart. And the next minute she had pushed past him and rushed into the house. For a minute or so after she was gone, the man stood leaning against the door with a dazed look in his pale face. She meant what she said. He had known her long enough to understand that she never forgave, never forgot. Her unbroken will and stubborn strength had held her to enmities all her life, and he knew she was not to be won by such things as won other women. He knew she was harder than most women. But his dull nature could not teach him how bitter must have been the life that rendered her so. He had never thought of it, he did not think of it now. He was not blaming her, and he was scarcely blaming himself. He had tried to make her happy and had failed. There were two causes for the heavy passion of misery that was ruling him, but neither of them was remorse. His treachery had betrayed him, and he had lost the woman he had loved and worked for. Soul and body were sluggish alike but each had its dull pang of weight and wretchedness. "'I've come to T.H.E. now, surely,' he said, and dropping into her seat he hid his face. As he sat there a choking lump rose in his throat with a sudden click, and in a minute or so more he was wiping away hot rolling tears with the back of his rough hand. "'I'm forsook somehow,' he said. "'I, I'm forsook. "'I'm not T.H. sort O chap to tack up y T H world.' She were all th' world I cared for, and she'll ne'er forge me, for she's a hard-un, she is. Ay, but I were fond o' her. I wonder what she'll do. I do wonder I my soul what she's gettin' her mind on. It did not occur to him to call to her or go and see what she was doing. He had always stood in some dull awe of her, even when she had been kindest, and now it seemed that they were too far apart for any possibility of approach at reconciliation. So he sat and pondered heavily, the sea air blowing upon him fresh and sweet, the sun shining soft and warm upon the house, and the few common flowers in the strip of garden whose narrow shell walks and borders he had laid out for her himself with much clumsy planning and slow labor. Then he got up and took his rough working jacket over his arm. I'm mun go down to T.H. Marianne, he said, and work a bit, or we'll ne'er get her turned o'er afore T.H. Tide comes in. That boat's a moito trouble, and he sighed heavily. Halfway to the gate he stopped before a cluster of ground honeysuckle, and perhaps for the first time in his life was conscious of a sudden curious admiration for them. She's powerful fawn o oh, such loik bits o oh, things, posies and such loik, he said. Them as I planted to please her on th very day as we were Wednesday I'll tack one or two. She's main fawn on em, first such a hard on and when he went out he held in his hand two or three slender stems hung with the tiny pretty humble bells. He had these very bits of simple blossoms in his hand when he went down to where the Mary and lay on the beach for repairs. So his fellow workmen said when they told the story afterwards, remembering even this trivial incident, he was in a strange frame of mind, too, they noticed, silent and heavy and absent. He did not work well, but lagged over his labor. "'stopping every now and then to pass the back of his hand over his brow "'as if to rouse himself. "'You'll look as if yo and T.H. missus had had a fallin' out "'and yoin get ten T.H. worst O.T.H. bargain,' "'one of his comrades said by way of rough jest. "'They were fond of joking with him about his love for his handsome, "'taciturn wife. "'But he did not laugh this time as he usually did. "'Mind thy own tackle, lad,' he said dully. "'And I'll mind mine.' From that time he worked steadily among them until it was nearly time for the tide to rise. The boat they were repairing had been a difficult job to manage, as they could only work between tides, and now being hurried they lingered longer than usual. At the last minute they found it must be moved, and so were detained. Better leave her until T.H. Tide ebbs, said one, but the rest were not of the same mind. Nay, they argued, it'll be all to do O'er again if we do that. There is plenty o' time if we look sharper now. Heave again, lads. Then it was that with the help of straining and tugging there came a little lurch, and then it was that as the Mary and slipped over on her side one of the workers slipped with her, slipped half underneath her with a cry, and lay on the sand, held down by the weight that rested on him. With his cry there broke out half a dozen others, and the men rushed up to him with frightened faces. Are yo' hurt, Seth, lad? They cried. Are you crushed or out? The poor fellow stirred a little and then looked up at them pale enough. Bruised a bit, he answered them. And sick a bit, but I do not think there's any bones broke. Look sharp, chaps, and heave her up. She's a moito weight on me. They went to work again one and all, so relieved by his words that they were doubly strong. But after toiling like giants for a while they were compelled to pause for breath. In falling the boat had so buried herself in the sand that she was harder to move than ever. It had seemed simple enough at first, but it was not so simple, after all. With all their efforts they had scarcely stirred her an inch, and their comrades' position interfered with almost every plan suggested. Then they tried again, but this time with less effect than before, through their fatigue. When they were obliged to pause they looked at each other questioningly, and more than one of them turned a trifle paler and at last the wisest of them spoke out. Lads, he said, we canna do this arsons. Run for help, Jem Coulter, and run why thy might, for it will not be so long afore T.H. Tidal flow. Up to this time the man on the sands had lain with closed eyes and set teeth, but when he heard this his eyes opened and he looked up. Eh, he said in that blind, stupid fashion. What's that though the saying, Mester? T.H. Tide, blundered the speaker. I were tellin' him to look sharp, that's a. The poor fellow moved restlessly. I, I, he said. Look sharp, he mun do that. I dinna think O.T.H. tied. And he shut his eyes again with a faint groan. They strove while the messenger was gone, and they strove when he returned with assistance. They strove with might and main, until not a man among them had the strength of a child, and the boldest of them were blanching with a fearful furtive excitement none dared to show. A crowd had gathered round by this time, men willing and anxious to help, women suggesting new ideas and comforting the wounded man in rough, earnest style, children clinging to their mother's gowns and looking on terror-stricken. Suddenly, in the midst of one of their mightiest efforts, a sharp childish voice piped out from the edge of an anxious group a brief warning that struck terror to every heart that beat among them. Eh? Mesters, it said. T.H. Tides creeping up a bit. The men looked round with throbbing pulses. The women looked also, and one of the younger ones broke into a low cry. Lord, ha mercy, she said. It'll sweep around T.H. Bend afore long, and then... And she ended with a terror in her voice which told its own tale without other words. The truth forced itself upon them all then. Women began to shriek and men to pray. But strange to say, the man whose life was at stake lay silent with ashen lips, about which the muscles were tensely drawn. His dull eyes searched every group in a dead despair that was yet a passion, in all its stillness. How long will it be? he asked slowly at last. T.H. Tide? Twenty minutes? Happens so, was the answer. And lad, lad, we kinda helped thee. We ain't tried our best, lad, with sobs even from the uncouth fellow who spoke. There is na one on us, but you dee leave a limb behind to save thee. But there is na time, there is na. One deep groan, and he lay still again, quite still. God knows what weight of mortal agony and desperate terror crushed him in that dead, helpless pause. Then his eyes opened as before. I've thought Odeon, he said with a catch of his breath. I've thought Odeon, and I've wondered how it were and what it felt like. I never thought Odeon like this here. Another pause and then. Which oh yo lads I'll tell my missus? Aye. Poor chap, poor chap. Wailed the women. Who on em will? how the noise wenches? He said hoarsely. Yo daze me. There is not time to bring her here. I'd ha like to ha said a word to her. I'd ha like to ha said one word. Jem Coulter. Raising his voice. Canst to say it for me? Aye. Cried the man. Choking as he spoke, surely, surely, and he knelt down. tell her at if it were bad now, this here, it were not so bad as it mought ha been fer me. I mought ha fun it worser. Tell her I'd like to ha said a word if I could, but I couldna I'd like to ha heard her say one word, as happened she would ha said if she'd been here and tell her at if she had ha said a th tied mot ha come and welcome, but she didna, under it stands. And the sob that burst from his breast was like the sob of a death-stricken child. Happen, he said next. Happen one o oh yo women folk can say a bit o' a prayer. Yori not so for fro safe sand, but yo can reach it. Happen one o oh o' yo ha a word or two as yo could say. Such like as yo teach yori babbies. Among these was one who had, thank God, thank God. And so, amid wails and weeping, Rough men and little children alike knelt with uncovered heads and hidden eyes while this one woman faltered the prayer that was a prayer for a dying man, and when it was ended, and all rose glancing fearfully at the white line of creeping foam, this dying man for whom they had prayed, lay upon his deathbed of sand the quietest of them all, quiet with a strange calm. Bring me my jacket, he said, and lay it o'er my face. There's a bit o'er posy in T. H. Buttonhole. I get in it out O.T.H. Mrs.'s' garden when I come away. I'd like to hold it in my hand if it's still yet. And as the long line of white came creeping onward they hurriedly did as he told them, laid the rough garment over his face, and gave him the humble dying flowers to hold, and having done this and lingered to the last moment, one after the other dropped away with awe-stricken souls until the last was gone. And under the arch of sunny sky the little shining waves ran up the beach, CHASING EACH OTHER OVER THE GLITTERING SAND, CATCHING AT SHELLS AND SEAWEED, TOYING WITH THEM FOR A MOMENT, AND THEN LEAVING THEM, RIPPLING AND CURLING AND WHISPERING, BUT CREEPING, CREEPING, CREEPING. THEY GAVE HIS MESSAGE TO THE WOMAN HE HAD LOVED WITH ALL THE DESPERATE STRENGTH OF HIS DULL, YET UNCHANGING NATURE, AND WHEN THE MAN WHO GAVE IT TO HER SAW HER WILD, WHITE FACE AND HARD-SET LIPS, HE BLUNDERED UPON SOME dim GUESS AS TO WHAT THAT SINGLE WORD MIGHT HAVE BEEN. But the sharpest of them never knew the stubborn anguish that, following and growing day by day, crushed her fierce will and shook her heart. She was as hard as ever, they thought, but they were none of them the men or women to guess at the long dormant instinct of womanhood and remorse that the tragedy of this one day of her life had awakened. She had said she would never forgive him, and perhaps her very strength made it long before she did, but surely some subtle chord was touched by those heavy last words, for when, Months later, her first love came back, faithful and tender, with his old tale to tell, she would not listen. Nay, lad, she said, I am not a feather to blow why th. wind. I've had my share o' trouble why men folk, and I ha no mind to try again. Him as lies I th. Churchyard loved me I his way, men folk's way is apt to be a purun, un, and I'm wore out why life. Dunnot not come here courtin', tack a better woman but yet there are those who say that the time will come when he will not plead in vain. One Day at Arles by Francis Hodgson Burnett Copyright, 1877 One Day at Arles, a tiny scattered fishing hamlet on the northwestern English coast, there stood at the door of one of the cottages near the shore a woman leaning against a lintel post and looking out, a woman who would have been apt to attract a stranger's eye, too, a woman young and handsome. This was what a first glance would have taken in. A second would have been apt to teach more and leave a less pleasant impression. She was young enough to have been girlish, but she was not girlish in the least. Her tall, lithe, well-knit figure was braced against the doorpost with a tense sort of strength. Her handsome face was just at this time as dark and hard an expression as if she had been a woman with years of bitter life behind her. Her handsome brows were knit, her lips were set. From head to foot she looked unyielding and stern of purpose and neither form nor face belied her. The earliest remembrances of the coast people concerning Meg Lonus had not been over-pleasant ones. She had never been a favorite among them. The truth was they had half feared her, even as the silent, dogged, neglected child who used to wander up and down among the rocks and on the beach, working harder for her scant living than the oldest of them. She had never a word for them. And never satisfied their curiosity upon the subject of the treatment she received from the ill conditioned old grandfather who was her only living relative, and this last peculiarity had rendered her more unpopular than anything else would have done. If she had answered their questions, they might have pitied her, but as she chose to meet them with stubborn silence, they managed to show their dislike in many ways, until at last it became a settled point among them that the girl was an outcast in their midst. But even in those days she gave them back wrong for wrong and scorn for scorn, and as she grew older she grew stronger of will, less prone to forgive her many injuries and slights, and more prone to revenge them in an obstinate, bitter fashion. But as she grew older she grew handsomer too, and the fisher boys who had jeered at her in her childhood were anxious enough to gain her goodwill. The women flouted her still, and she defied them openly. The men found it wisest to be humble in their rough style, and her defiance of them was more scornful than her defiance of their mothers and sisters. She would revenge herself upon them, and did, until at last she met a wooer who was tender enough, it seemed, to move her. At least so people said at first. But suddenly the lover disappeared, and two or three months later the whole community was electrified by her sudden marriage with a suitor whom she had been wont to treat worse than all the rest. How she treated him after the marriage nobody knew. She was more defiant and silent than ever, and gossipers gained nothing by asking questions. So at last she was left alone. It was not the face of a tender wife waiting for a loving husband, the face that was turned toward the sea. If she had hated the man for whom she watched she could not have seemed more unbending. Ever since her visitor had left her, she had had a visitor during the morning, she had stood in the same place, even in the same position, without moving. And when at last the figure of her husband came slouching across the sands homeward, she remained motionless still. And surely his was not the face of a happy husband. Not a handsome face at its dull best, it was doubly unprepossessing then, as, pale and breathless, he passed the stern form in the doorway, his nervous, reluctant eyes avoiding hers. You'll find your dinner already on TH table, she said to him as he passed in. Everything was neat enough inside. The fireplace was clean and bright, the table was set tidily, and the meal upon it was good enough in its way. But when the man entered he cast an unsteady, uncomprehending glance around, and when he had flung himself into a chair he did not attempt to touch the food, but dropped his face upon his arm on the table with a sound like a little groan. She must have heard it, but she did not notice it even by a turn of her head, but stood erect and steadfast until he spoke to her. She might have been waiting for his words. Perhaps she was. "Be canst come in and say what the has to say and be done, Wyatt, he said at last, in a sullen, worn-out fashion. She turned round then and faced him, harder to be met in her rigid mood than if she had been a tempest. The knows what I ha get to say, she answered, her tone strained and husky with repressed fierceness. I, the knows it well enough. I ha not much need to tell thee out. He come here this morning, and he towed me, a I want to know about thee, Seth Lonus and more too. He come to me, put in the man. She advanced towards the table, and struck it once with her hand. This towed me a power, O lies, she said. This lied to me fro first to last to serve thy own eans, and this gained em. This lied me away fro th man as were a th world to me. But th times come now when thy days o'er and his is come agin. Ah. Thou bitter villain! Does ta mind how the common towed me Dan Morgan had gone to T.H. fair at lake why that lass o' Barnegats? That were a lion that were T.H. beginning. Does ta mind how the towed me as he made light o' me when T.H. lads and lasses plagued him, and threeped him down as he didna mean to marry no such like lass as me, him as were ready to defer me? That were a lion that were T.H. endin' as the knew it would be, for I spurned him fro me T.H. very next day and wouldna listen when he tried to straighten out. But he got a th truth at last when he were fur fro here, and he brought th truth back to me to-day, and there's th e'en fur thee, husband or no. The man lay with his head upon his arms until she had finished, and then he looked up all white and shaken and blind. "'Wilt thou listen if I speak to thee?' he asked. "'Aye,' she answered. "'Listen to more lies.' and she slipped down into a sitting posture on the stone doorstep, and sat there, her great eyes staring out seaward, her hands lying loose upon her knee, and trembling. There was something more in her mood than resentment. In this simple gesture she had broken down as she had never broken down in her life before. There was passionate grief in her face, a wild sort of despair, such as one might see in a suddenly wounded, untamed creature. Hers was not a fair nature. I am not telling the story of a gentle, true-souled woman. I am simply relating the incidents of one bitter day whose tragic close was the ending of a rough romance. Her life had been a long battle against the world's scorn. She had been either on the offensive or the defensive from childhood to womanhood, and then she had caught one glimpse of light and warmth, clung to it yearningly for one brief hour, and lost it. Only today she had learned that she had lost it through treachery. She had not dared to believe in her bliss, even during its fairest existence. And so, when light-hearted, Handsome Dan Morgan's rival had worked against him with false stories and false proofs, her fierce pride had caught at them, and her revenge had been swift and sharp. But it had fallen back upon her own head now. This very morning Handsome Dan had come back again to Arl and earned his revenge, too, though he had only meant to clear himself when he told her what chance had brought to light. He had come back, her lover, the man who had conquered and sweetened her bitter nature as nothing else on earth had power to do. He had come back and found her what she was, the wife of a man for whom she had never cared, the wife of the man who had played them both false, and robbed her of the one poor gleam of joy she had known. She had been hard and wild enough at first, but just now, when she slipped down upon the doorstep with her back turned to the wretched man within, When it came upon her that, traitor as he was, she herself had given him the right to take her bright-faced lover's place and usurp his tender power. When the fresh sea breeze blew upon her face and stirred her hair, and the warm, rare sunshine touched her, even breeze and sunshine helped her to the end, so that she broke down into a sharp sob, as any other woman might have done. Only that the repressed strength of her poor warped nature made it a sob sharper and deeper than another woman's would have been. Yo, ha left me that, she said. Yo, ha left it to me. There were other women as would ha done yo, there were no other man on earth as would do me. Yo knowed what my life had been, and how it were hand to hand betwixt other folk and me. Yo knowed how much I cared for him and what he were to me. Yo, ha let us be. I never harmed yo. I wouldn't harm yo' so sinful cruel now. Wilt ta listen? he asked, laboring as if for breath. "I," she answered him. I'll listen, fur the canna hurt me worser. T.H. day fur that's past and gone. Well, said he, listen and I'll try to tell yo. I know it's no use, but I mun say a word or two. Happen yo didna know I loved yo a your life, happen yo didna, but it's true. When yo were a little lass gatherin' seaweed on th sands I watched yo when I were afeard to speak, afeard lest yo gi me a sharp answer, for yo were ready and now why am, wench. I've watched yo fur hours when I were a great lubberly lad, and when yo get to be a woman it were th same thing. I watched yo and did yo many a turn as yo know not about. When yo were searchin' fur drift to keep up th fire after th out mon deed and left yo alone. Happen yo never guessed as it were me as heaped little piles I th oth th rocks so as yo'd think at th tide had left it there. Happen yo didn't, but it were true. I've stayed round the old house many a neat, feared some at might harm yo, and yo know yo nigh were gave me a good word, Meg. And then Dan Common he made way why yo as he made way why I th rest, men and women and children. He nigh were worked and waited as I did, he nigh were and prayed as I did. "'Everything come easy why him, everything I will lose did come easy why him, "'and when I seed him so light-hearted and careless about what I were cravin', it run me daft and blind. "'Seemed like he couldna cling to it like I did and I begun to fight agin it, "'and when I heerd about that lass o' I towed yo, "'and when I seen yo believed what I didna believe my sin, "'it run me dafter yet and I put more to what he said and held back some.' And there it were, and there it stands. And if I've earned a curse, lass, I've getten it. fur, for I thought yo'd been learnin' to care for me a bit sin we were wed. And God knows I've tried to treat yo fair and kind. I my poor way, it were not a Dan Morgan's way. I know his were a better way than mine. T. H. sun shone on him somehow, but I've done my best and truest sin dot. Yo've done your worst, she said. T. H. worst yo could do were to part us, and yo did it. If yo'd been half a man, yo wouldna ha been content why a woman yo trapped with say I, an and who cared less for yo than she did fur th sand on th seashore. What's what yo v done sin to what yo did afore? Yo kind wipe that out, and yo kinda mak me forget. I hate yo, and th worse because I were beginning to be content a bit. I hate my sin. I ought to ha knowed. Wildly. He would ha knowed whether I were true or false, per chap. He would ha knowed. She rocked herself to and fro for a minute, wringing her hands in a passion of anguish worse than any words, but a minute later she turned on him all at once. All's o'er betwixt yo and me, she said with fierce heat. Do you know that? If yo were half a man yo would. He sat up and stared at her humbly and stupidly. Eh? he said at last. There's not a man I all as is no more to me now than the art, she said. Some on em be honest, and I canna say that o' oh, thee. The, the canst get thee gone, or I'll go myson. Nice the knows me well, enough to know I'll ne'er forge thee for what thes done. Aye, with the passionate hand-wringing again. But that won't undo it. He rose and came to her, trembling like a man with the ague. Yo dun not mean that there, Meg, he said slowly. You dun not mean it word for word. Think a bit. Aye, but I do, she answered him setting her white teeth. Word for word. Think again, wench. And this time he staggered and caught hold of the doorpost. Is there nowt as go agin' th wrong? I've lived wide thee nigh a year, and I've loved thee twenty. Is there nowt for me? las, do not be too hard. The was I'll lose harder than most womankind. Try and be a bit softer like tardy ass th mon as risked his soul because he were a mon and darina lose thee. The laid thy head on my shoulder last neat. Ay, lass, lass, think o' that for one minute. Perhaps she did think of it, for surely she faltered a little. What woman would not have faltered at such a moment? But the next, the memory of the sunny, half-boyish face she had clung to was so strong a love rushed back upon her and struck her to the heart. She remembered the days when her life had seemed so full that she had feared her own bliss. She remembered the gallant speeches and light-hearted wiles and all at once she cried out in a fierce, impassioned voice, "'I'll ne'er forge thee,' she said, "'I'll ne'er forge thee to th last day o' my life. What for should I? This broke my heart, thou villain, this broke my heart.' And the next minute she had pushed past him and rushed into the house. For a minute or so after she was gone the man stood leaning against the door with a dazed look in his pale face. She meant what she said. He had known her long enough to understand that she never forgave, never forgot. Her unbroken will and stubborn strength had held her to enmities all her life, and he knew she was not to be won by such things as won other women. He knew she was harder than most women, but his dull nature could not teach him how bitter must have been the life that rendered her so. He had never thought of it, he did not think of it now. He was not blaming her, and he was scarcely blaming himself. He had tried to make her happy and had failed. There were two causes for the heavy passion of misery that was ruling him, but neither of them was remorse. His treachery had betrayed him, and he had lost the woman he had loved and worked for. Soul and body were sluggish alike, but each had its dull pang of weight and wretchedness. I've come to T.H.E. now surely, he said, and dropping into her seat he hid his face. As he sat there a choking lump rose in his throat with a sudden click, and in a minute or so more he was wiping away hot rolling tears with the back of his rough hand. I'm forsook somehow, he said. Aye, I'm forsook. I'm not th sort o chap to tack up yth th world. She were all th world I cared for, and she'll ne'er forge me, for she's a hard un. she is. Aye, but I were fond o her. I wonder what she'll do. I do wonder I my soul what she's getting her mind on. It did not occur to him to call to her or go and see what she was doing. He had always stood in some dull awe of her, even when she had been kindest, and now it seemed that they were too far apart for any possibility of approach at reconciliation. So he sat and pondered heavily, the sea air blowing upon him fresh and sweet, the sun shining soft and warm upon the house and the few common flowers in the strip of garden whose narrow shell walks and borders he had laid out for her himself with much clumsy planning and slow labor. Then he got up and took his rough working jacket over his arm. I mun go down to T.H. Marianne, he said, and work a bit, or we'll ne'er get her turned o'er afore T.H. Tide comes in. That boat's a moito trouble, and he sighed heavily. Halfway to the gate he stopped before a cluster of ground honeysuckle. And perhaps for the first time in his life was conscious of a sudden curious admiration for them. She's powerful fond o oh, such like bits o oh, things, posies and such like, He said, them some as I planted to please her on th very day as we were Wednesday. I'll tack one or two. She's main fond on em, first such a hard on. And when he went out, he held in his hand two or three slender stems hung with the tiny pretty humble bells. He had these very bits of simple blossoms in his hand when he went down to where the Mary and lay on the beach for repairs. So his fellow workmen said when they told the story afterwards, remembering even this trivial incident. He was in a strange frame of mind, too, they noticed, silent and heavy and absent. He did not work well, but lagged over his labor, stopping every now and then to pass the back of his hand over his brow as if to rouse himself. You'll look as if yo and th missus had had a fallin' out and yo and get ten th worst Oth bargain, one of his comrades said by way of rough jest. They were fond of joking with him about his love for his handsome, taciturn wife. But he did not laugh this time as he usually did. Mind thy own tackle, lad, he said dully. And I'll mind mine. From that time he worked steadily among them until it was nearly time for the tide to rise. The boat they were repairing had been a difficult job to manage, as they could only work between tides, and now being hurried they lingered longer than usual. At the last minute they found it must be moved, and so were detained. Better leave her until th tide ebbs, said one, but the rest were not of the same mind. Nay, they argued, it'll be all to do o'er Agin if we do that. There is plenty o' time if we look sharper now. Heave again, lads. Then it was that with the help of straining and tugging there came a little lurch, and then it was that as the merry and slipped over on her side one of the workers slipped with her, slipped half underneath her with a cry, and lay on the sand, held down by the weight that rested on him. With his cry there broke out half a dozen others, and the men rushed up to him with frightened faces. Are yo hurt, Seth, lad? they cried. Are yo crushed or out? The poor fellow stirred a little and then looked up at them pale enough. Bruised a bit, he answered them, and sick a bit, but I not think there's any bones broke. Look sharp, chaps, and heave her up. She's a o' weight on me. They went to work again one and all, so relieved by his words that they were doubly strong, but after toiling like giants for a while they were compelled to pause for breath. In falling the boat had so buried herself in the sand that she was harder to move than ever. It had seemed simple enough at first, but it was not so simple after all. With all their efforts they had scarcely stirred her an inch, and their comrade's position interfered with almost every plan suggested. Then they tried again, but this time with less effect than before, through their fatigue. When they were obliged to pause they looked at each other questioningly, and more than one of them turned a trifle paler, and at last the wisest of them spoke out. "'Lads,' he said, "'we canna do this arsons.' Run for help, Jem Coulter, and run why thy might, for it won't be so long afore th tide'll flow. Up to this time, the man on the sands had lain with closed eyes and set teeth, but when he heard this, his eyes opened and he looked up. Eh? He said in that blind, stupid fashion. What's that though? The sayin', Mester? Th tide? Blundered the speaker. I were tellin' him to look sharp. That's a. Ah. The poor fellow moved restlessly. I. I, he said, look sharp, he mun do that. I dinna think O.T.H. tied, and he shut his eyes again with a faint groan. They strove while the messenger was gone, and they strove when he returned with assistance. They strove with might and main, until not a man among them had the strength of a child, and the boldest of them were blanching with a fearful, furtive excitement none dared to show. A crowd had gathered round by this time, men willing and anxious to help, women suggesting new ideas and comforting the wounded man in rough, earnest style, children clinging to their mother's gowns and looking on terror-stricken. Suddenly, in the midst of one of their mightiest efforts, a sharp childish voice piped out from the edge of an anxious group a brief warning that struck terror to every heart that beat among them. Eh? Mesters, it said. Th. Tides creeping up a bit. The men looked round with throbbing pulses. The women looked also and one of the younger ones broke into a low cry. "'Lord, ha' mercy!' she said. "'It'll sweep around T.H. Bend afore long, and then—' And she ended with a terror in her voice which told its own tale without other words. The truth forced itself upon them all then. Women began to shriek and men to pray, but strange to say, the man whose life was at stake lay silent, with ashen lips, about which the muscles were tensely drawn— His dull eyes searched every group in a dead despair that was yet a passion in all its stillness. "'How long will it be?' he asked slowly at last. "'Th. Tide? twenty minutes?' "'Happened so,' was the answer. "'And, lad, lad, we kinda helped thee. "'We ain't tried our best, lad,' with sobs even from the uncouth fellow who spoke. "'There is na one on us, but you dee leave a limb behind to save thee. "'But there is na time.' There is na. One deep groan and he lay still again, quite still. God knows what weight of mortal agony and desperate terror crushed him in that dead, helpless pause. Then his eyes opened as before. I've thought Odeon, he said with a catch of his breath. I've thought Odeon, and I've wondered how it were and what it felt like. I never thought Odeon like this here. Another pause and then. Which o' oh yo lads i will tell my missus? Aye. Poor chap, poor chap, wailed the women. Who on em will? How'd the noise, wenches, he said hoarsely. Yo daze me. There is not time to bring her here. I'd how like to ha said a word to her. I'd how like to ha said one word, Jem Coulter, raising his voice. Canst to say it for me? I cried the man, choking as he spoke. Surely, surely, and he knelt down. Tell her at if it were bad now, this here, it were not so bad as it mought ha been, for me. I mought ha fun it worser. Tell her I'd like to ha said a word if I could, but I couldna. I'd like to ha heard her say one word, as happened she would ha said if she'd been here, and tell her at if she had ha said a th-tied mought ha come and welcome, but she didna, and there it stands. And the sob that burst from his breast was like the sob of a death-stricken child. Happen. He said next, Happen one o oh yo women folk can say a bit o a prayer, yori not so for fro safe sand but yo can reach it. Happen one o oh yo ha a word or two as yo could say, such like as yo teach yori babbies. Among these was one who had, Thank God, thank God. And so, amid wails and weeping, rough men and little children alike knelt with uncovered heads and hidden eyes while this one woman faltered the prayer that was a prayer for a dying man, and when it was ended, and all rose glancing fearfully at the white line of creeping foam, this dying man for whom they had prayed, lay upon his deathbed of sand the quietest of them all, quiet with a strange calm. "'Bring me my jacket,' he said, "'and lay it o'er my face. There's a bit a posy in T.H. Buttonhole. I get in out o' T.H. Missus's garden when I come away. I'd like to hold it in my hand if it's there yet.' and as the long line of white came creeping onward they hurriedly did as he told them, laid the rough garment over his face, and gave him the humble dying flowers to hold, and having done this and lingered to the last moment, one after the other dropped away with awe-stricken souls until the last was gone. And under the arch of sunny sky the little shining waves ran up the beach, chasing each other over the glittering sand, catching at shells and seaweed, toying with them for a moment, and then leaving them, Rippling and curling and whispering, but creeping, creeping, creeping. They gave his message to the woman he had loved with all the desperate strength of his dull, yet unchanging nature, and when the man who gave it to her saw her wild, white face and hard-set lips, he blundered upon some dim guess as to what that single word might have been, but the sharpest of them never knew the stubborn anguish that, following and growing day by day, crushed her fierce will and shook her heart. She was as hard as ever, they thought, but they were none of them the men or women to guess at the long dormant instinct of womanhood and remorse that the tragedy of this one day of her life had awakened. She had said she would never forgive him, and perhaps her very strength made it long before she did, but surely some subtle chord was touched by those heavy last words, for when, months later, her first love came back, faithful and tender, with his old tale to tell, she would not listen. Nay, lad. She said, I am not a feather to blow why th wind. I've had my share o' trouble why men folk, and I ha no mind to try again. Him as lies I th churchyard loved me I his way, men folk's way is apt to be a puran, and I'm wore out why life. Do not come here, courting. tack a better woman. But yet there are those who say that the time will come when he will not plead in vain. One Day at all by Francis Hodgson Burnett Copyright, 1877 One day at Arles, a tiny scattered fishing hamlet on the northwestern English coast, there stood at the door of one of the cottages near the shore a woman leaning against a lintel post and looking out. A woman who would have been apt to attract a stranger's eye, too. A woman young and handsome. This was what a first glance would have taken in. A second would have been apt to teach more and leave a less pleasant impression. She was young enough to have been girlish, but she was not girlish in the least. Her tall, lithe, well-knit figure was braced against the doorpost with a tense sort of strength. Her handsome face was just at this time as dark and hard an expression as if she had been a woman with years of bitter life behind her. Her handsome brows were knit, her lips were set. From head to foot she looked unyielding and stern of purpose. And neither form nor face belied her. The earliest remembrances of the coast people concerning Meg Lonus had not been over-pleasant ones. She had never been a favorite among them. The truth was, they had half feared her, even as the silent, dogged, neglected child who used to wander up and down among the rocks and on the beach, working harder for her scant living than the oldest of them. She had never a word for them, and never satisfied their curiosity upon the subject of the treatment she received from the ill conditioned old grandfather who was her only living relative, and this last peculiarity had rendered her more unpopular than anything else would have done. If she had answered their questions, they might have pitied her. But as she chose to meet them with stubborn silence, they managed to show their dislike in many ways, until at last it became a settled point among them that the girl was an outcast in their midst. But even in those days, she gave them back wrong for wrong and scorn for scorn. And as she grew older, she grew stronger of will, less prone to forgive her many injuries and slights, and more prone to revenge them in an obstinate, bitter fashion. But as she grew older, she grew handsomer too, and the fisher boys who had jeered at her in her childhood were anxious enough to gain her goodwill. The women flouted her still, and she defied them openly. The men found it wisest to be humble in their rough style, and her defiance of them was more scornful than her defiance of their mothers and sisters. She would revenge herself upon them, and did, until at last she met a wooer who was tender enough, it seemed, to move her. At least so people said at first. But suddenly the lover disappeared, and two or three months later the whole community was electrified by her sudden marriage with a suitor whom she had been wont to treat worse than all the rest. How she treated him after the marriage nobody knew. She was more defiant and silent than ever, and gossipers gained nothing by asking questions. So at last she was left alone. It was not the face of a tender wife waiting for a loving husband, the face that was turned toward the sea if she had hated the man for whom she watched she could not have seemed more unbending. Ever since her visitor had left her, she had had a visitor during the morning, she had stood in the same place, even in the same position, without moving, and when at last the figure of her husband came slouching across the sands homeward she remained motionless still. And surely his was not the face of a happy husband. Not a handsome face at its dull best, it was doubly unprepossessing then, As, pale and breathless, he passed the stern form in the doorway, his nervous, reluctant eyes avoiding hers. "'You'll find your dinner already on T.H. table,' she said to him as he passed in. Everything was neat enough inside. The fireplace was clean and bright, the table was set tidily, and the meal upon it was good enough in its way. But when the man entered he cast an unsteady, uncomprehending glance around, and when he had flung himself into a chair he did not attempt to touch the food, but dropped his face upon his arm on the table with a sound like a little groan. She must have heard it, but she did not notice it even by a turn of her head, but stood erect and steadfast until he spoke to her. She might have been waiting for his words, perhaps she was. They canst come in and say what the has to say and be done, Wyatt, he said at last, in a sullen, worn-out fashion. She turned round then and faced him, harder to be met in her rigid mood than if she had been a tempest. The knows what I ha get tend to say, she answered, her tone strained and husky with repressed fierceness. I, the knows it well enough. I ha not much need to tell thee out. He come here this morning and he town me I want to know about thee, Seth Lonus, and more too. He come to me, put in the man. She advanced towards the table, and struck it once with her hand. This tout me a power, O oh, lies, she said. This lied to me fro first to last to serve thy own eans, and this gained em. This lied me away fro th' man as were a th' world to me. But th' times come now when thy days o'er and his is calm agin. Ah, thou bitter villain! Does ta' mind how the calm and me Dan Morgan had gone to th' fair at lake why that lass, O oh, Barnegats? That were a lion. That were th beginning. Does Tom mind how the TOWED me as he made light on me when th lads and lasses plagued him and threeped him down as he didna mean to marry no such like lass as me. Him as were ready to defer me. That were a lion. That were th endin as the knew it would be for I spurned him fro me th very next day and wouldna listen when he tried to straighten out. But he got a th truth at last when he were fur fro here and he brought T. H. truth back to me to-day, and there's T. H. e'en fur thee, husband or no. The man lay with his head upon his arms until she had finished, and then he looked up all white and shaken and blind. "'Wilt thou listen if I speak to thee?' he asked. "'Aye,' she answered. "'Listen to more lies.' And she slipped down into a sitting posture on the stone doorstep, and sat there, her great eyes staring out seaward. Her hands lying loose upon her knee, and trembling. There was something more in her mood than resentment. In this simple gesture, she had broken down as she had never broken down in her life before. There was passionate grief in her face, a wild sort of despair, such as one might see in a suddenly wounded, untamed creature. Hers was not a fair nature. I am not telling the story of a gentle, true souled woman. I am simply relating the incidents of one bitter day whose tragic close was the ending of a rough romance. Her life had been a long battle against the world's scorn. She had been either on the offensive or the defensive from childhood to womanhood, and then she had caught one glimpse of light and warmth, clung to it yearningly for one brief hour, and lost it. Only today she had learned that she had lost it through treachery. She had not dared to believe in her bliss, even during its fairest existence. And so, when light-hearted, handsome Dan Morgan's rival had worked against him with false stories and false proofs, her fierce pride had caught at them, and her revenge had been swift and sharp. But it had fallen back upon her own head now. This very morning handsome Dan had come back again to Arl and earned his revenge, too, though he had only meant to clear himself when he told her what chance had brought to light. He had come back, her lover, The man who had conquered and sweetened her bitter nature as nothing else on earth had power to do. He had come back and found her what she was. The wife of a man for whom she had never cared. The wife of the man who had played them both false. And robbed her of the one poor gleam of joy she had known. She had been hard and wild enough at first. But just now, when she slipped down upon the doorstep with her back turned to the wretched man within. When it came upon her that, traitor as he was. She herself had given him the right to take her bright-faced lover's place and usurp his tender power when the fresh sea breeze blew upon her face and stirred her hair and the warm, rare sunshine touched her. Even breeze and sunshine helped her to the end so that she broke down into a sharp sob, as any other woman might have done, only that the repressed strength of her poor warped nature made it a sob sharper and deeper than another woman's would have been. Yo, Matha left me that! She said. Yo mod ha left it to me. There were other women as would ha done yo. There were no other man on earth as would do me. Yo knowed what my life had been, and how it were hand to hand betwixt other folk and me. Yo knowed how much I cared for him and what he were to me. Yo mod ha let us be. I never harmed yo. I wouldn't harm yo so sinful cruel now. Will ta listen? He asked, laboring as if for breath. I. She answered him. I'll listen, Fur the kana hurt me worser. T.H. Day fur that's past and gone. Well, said he, listen and I'll try to tell yo. I know it's no use, but I mun say a word or two. Happen yo didna know I loved yo at your life. Happen yo didna, but it's true. When yo were a little lass gathering seaweed on T.H. Sands I watched yo when I were afeared to speak. Afeared lest yo gee me a sharp answer for yo were ready and now why am, wench. I've watched yo fur hours when I were a great lubberly lad, and when yo get to be a woman it were th same thing. I watched yo and did yo many a turn as yo know not about. When yo were searchin' fur drift to keep up th fire after th out man deed and left yo alone, happen yo never guessed as it were me as heaped little piles I th milks th rocks so as yo'd think at th tide had left it there. Happen yo didn't, but it were true. I've stayed round the old house many a neat, feared some it mought harm yo, and yo know yo nigh were gave me a good word, Meg. And then Dan Common he made way why yo as he made way why I th rest, men and women and children. He nigh were worked and waited as I did, he nigh were thought and prayed as I did, everything come easy why him, everything I lose did come easy why him, and when I seed him so light hearted and careless about what I were cravin', it run me daft and blind. Seemed like he couldna cling to it like I did and I begun to fight agin it. And when I heerd about that lass o' Barnegat's I towed yo. And when I seen yo believed what I didna believe my sin, It run me dafter yet and I put more to what he said and held back some. And there it were and there it stands and if I've earned a curse. Lass, I've getten it. Fur, fur I thought yo'd been learnin to care for me a bit sin we were wed. And God knows I've tried to treat yo fair and kind I my poor way. It weren't a Dan Morgan's way, I know. His were a better way than mine, th sun shone on him somehow, but I've done my best and truest sin dot. Yo v done yori worse, she said. Th worse yo could do were to part us, and yo did it. If yo'd been half a man yo wouldna ha been content why a woman yo trapped was sayin' I, and who cared less for yo than she did fur th sand on th seashore. What's what yo v done sin to what yo did afore? Yo kind wipe that out, and yo kind mak me forget. I hate yo, and th worse because I were beginning to be content a bit. I hate myson. I ought to ha-node, wildly. He would ha knowed whether I were true or false, per chap, he would ha knowed. She rocked herself to and fro for a minute, wringing her hands in a passion of anguish worse than any words, but a minute later she turned on him all at once. All's ower betwixt yo and me. She said with fierce heat. Do you know that? If yo were half a man, yo would. He sat up and stared at her humbly and stupidly. Eh? He said at last. There's not a man I all as is no more to me now than the art. She said. Some on em be honest, and I canna say that o' thee. The can't get thee gone, or I'll go myson. The knows me well enough to know I'll ne'er forge thee for what this done. Aye, with the passionate hand-wringing again. But that wouldn't undo it. He rose and came to her, Trembling like a man with the ague. Yo dun not mean that there, Meg, He said slowly. You dun not mean it word for word. Think a bit. Ay, but I do, She answered him, Setting her white teeth. Word for word. Think again, wench. And this time he staggered And caught hold of the doorpost. Is there nowt as go agin' th wrong? I've lived wi thee nigh a year and I've loved thee twenty. Is there nowt for me? Ay, lass, do not be too hard. Though was will lose harder than most womankind. Try and be a bit softer like Th Mon as risked his soul because he were a Mon and Darina lose thee. The laid thy head on my shoulder last neat. Ay, lass, lass, think o' that for one minute. Perhaps she did think of it, for surely she faltered a little. What woman would not have faltered at such a moment? But the next, the memory of the sunny. Half-boyish face she had clung to was so strong a love rushed back upon her and struck her to the heart. She remembered the days when her life had seemed so full that she had feared her own bliss. She remembered the gallant speeches and light-hearted wiles, and all at once she cried out in a fierce, impassioned voice. I'll ne'er forge thee, she said. I'll ne'er forge thee to th last day o' my life. What for should I? This broke my heart, thou villain, this broke my heart. And the next minute she had pushed past him and rushed into the house. For a minute or so after she was gone, the man stood leaning against the door with a dazed look in his pale face. She meant what she said. He had known her long enough to understand that she never forgave, never forgot. Her unbroken will and stubborn strength had held her to enmities all her life, and he knew she was not to be won by such things as won other women. He knew she was harder than most women but his dull nature could not teach him how bitter must have been the life that rendered her so. He had never thought of it, he did not think of it now. He was not blaming her, and he was scarcely blaming himself. He had tried to make her happy and had failed. There were two causes for the heavy passion of misery that was ruling him, but neither of them was remorse. His treachery had betrayed him, and he had lost the woman he had loved and worked for. Soul and body were sluggish alike, but each had its dull pang of weight and wretchedness. "'I've come to T.H.E. now, surely,' he said, and dropping into her seat he hid his face. As he sat there a choking lump rose in his throat with a sudden click, and in a minute or so more he was wiping away hot rolling tears with the back of his rough hand. "'I'm forsook somehow,' he said. "'I, I'm forsook. I'm not T.H. sort O chap to tack up Y T H world.' She were all th' world I cared fur, and she'll ne'er forgive me, for she's a hard-un, she is. Ay, but I were fond o' her. I wonder what she'll do. I do wonder I my soul what she's gettin' her mind on. It did not occur to him to call to her or go and see what she was doing. He had always stood in some dull awe of her, even when she had been kindest, and now it seemed that they were too far apart for any possibility of approach at reconciliation. So he sat and pondered heavily, the sea air blowing upon him fresh and sweet, the sun shining soft and warm upon the house, and the few common flowers in the strip of garden whose narrow shell walks and borders he had laid out for her himself with much clumsy planning and slow labor. Then he got up and took his rough working jacket over his arm. I mun go down to T.H. Marianne, he said, and work a bit, or we'll ne'er get her turned o'er afore T.H. Tide comes in. That boat's a moito trouble, and he sighed heavily. Halfway to the gate he stopped before a cluster of ground honeysuckle, and perhaps for the first time in his life was conscious of a sudden curious admiration for them. She's powerful fond o oh, such loik bits o oh, things, posies and such loik, he said. Them as I planted to please her on th very day as we were Wednesday I'll tack one or two. She's main fawn on em, first such a hard on and when he went out he held in his hand two or three slender stems hung with the tiny pretty humble bells. He had these very bits of simple blossoms in his hand when he went down to where the Mary and lay on the beach for repairs. So his fellow workmen said when they told the story afterwards, remembering even this trivial incident, he was in a strange frame of mind, too, they noticed, silent and heavy and absent. He did not work well, but lagged over his labor. "'stopping every now and then to pass the back of his hand over his brow "'as if to rouse himself. you look as if yo and th missus had had a fallin' out "'and yo get ten th worst o th bargain,' "'one of his comrades said by way of rough jest. "'They were fond of joking with him about his love for his handsome, "'taciturn wife. "'But he did not laugh this time as he usually did. "'Mind thy own tackle, lad,' he said dully. "'And I'll mind mine.' From that time he worked steadily among them until it was nearly time for the tide to rise. The boat they were repairing had been a difficult job to manage, as they could only work between tides, and now being hurried they lingered longer than usual. At the last minute they found it must be moved, and so were detained. Better leave her until T.H. Tide ebbs, said one, but the rest were not of the same mind. Nay, they argued, it'll be all to do O'er again if we do that. There is plenty o' time if we look sharper now. Heave again, lads. Then it was that with the help of straining and tugging there came a little lurch, and then it was that as the Mary and slipped over on her side one of the workers slipped with her, slipped half underneath her with a cry, and lay on the sand, held down by the weight that rested on him. With his cry there broke out half a dozen others, and the men rushed up to him with frightened faces. Are yo' hurt, Seth, lad? They cried. Are you crushed or out? The poor fellow stirred a little and then looked up at them pale enough. Bruised a bit, he answered them. And sick a bit, but I not think there's any bones broke. Look sharp, chaps, and heave her up. She's a moido weight on me. They went to work again one and all, so relieved by his words that they were doubly strong. But after toiling like giants for a while they were compelled to pause for breath. In falling the boat had so buried herself in the sand that she was harder to move than ever. It had seemed simple enough at first, but it was not so simple, after all. With all their efforts they had scarcely stirred her an inch, and their comrades' position interfered with almost every plan suggested. Then they tried again, but this time with less effect than before, through their fatigue. When they were obliged to pause they looked at each other questioningly, and more than one of them turned a trifle paler. "'and at last the wisest of them spoke out. "'Lads,' he said, "'we canna do this arsons. "'Run for help, Jem Coulter, "'and run why thy might, "'for it will not be so long afore T.H. Tidal flow. "'Up to this time the man on the sands "'had lain with closed eyes and set teeth, "'but when he heard this his eyes opened "'and he looked up. "'Eh,' he said in that blind, stupid fashion, "'what's that though the saying, Mester? Th Tide,' Blundered the speaker. I were telling him to look sharp, that's ah. The poor fellow moved restlessly. I. I. He said. Look sharp, he mun do that. I dinna think OTH tied, and he shut his eyes again with a faint groan. They strove while the messenger was gone, and they strove when he returned with assistance. They strove with might and main, until not a man among them had the strength of a child and the boldest of them were blanching with a fearful, furtive excitement none dared to show. A crowd had gathered round by this time, men willing and anxious to help, women suggesting new ideas and comforting the wounded man in rough, earnest style, children clinging to their mother's gowns and looking on terror-stricken. Suddenly, in the midst of one of their mightiest efforts, a sharp childish voice piped out from the edge of an anxious group a brief warning that struck terror to every heart that beat among them. Eh? Mesters, it said, T. H. Tides creeping up a bit. The men looked round with throbbing pulses. The women looked also, and one of the younger ones broke into a low cry. Lord, ha mercy, she said. It'll sweep around T. H. Bend afore long, and then... And she ended with a terror in her voice which told its own tale without other words. The truth forced itself upon them all then. Women began to shriek and men to pray, but strange to say... The man whose life was at stake lay silent, with ashen lips, about which the muscles were tensely drawn. His dull eyes searched every group in a dead despair that was yet a passion, in all its stillness. How long will it be? he asked slowly at last. T.H. Tide? Twenty minutes? Happened so, was the answer. And lad, lad, we kinda helped thee. We un tried our best, lad with sobs even from the uncouth fellow who spoke. There is na one on us, but you dee leave a limb behind to save thee. But there is na time, there is na. One deep groan, and he lay still again, quite still. God knows what weight of mortal agony and desperate terror crushed him in that dead, helpless pause. Then his eyes opened as before. I've thought Odeon, he said with a catch of his breath. I've thought Odeon, and I've wondered how it were and what it felt like. I never thought Odean like this here. Another pause and then. Which o' oh yo lads I'll tell my missus? Ay, Poor chap, poor chap, wailed the women. Who on em will? How'd the noise, wenches? He said hoarsely. Yo daze me. There is na time to bring her here. I'd ha like to ha said a word to her. I'd ha like to ha said one word, Jem Coulter, raising his voice. Canst to say it for me? I, cried the man, choking as he spoke. Surely, surely, and he knelt down. Tell her at if it were bad a now, this here, it were not so bad as it mought ha been, fur me. I mought ha fun it worser. Tell her I'd like to ha said a word if I could, but I couldna. I'd like to ha heard her say one word, as happened she would ha said if she'd been here, and tell her at if she had ha said a th-tied mought ha come and welcome, but she didna, and there it stands. And the sob that burst from his breast was like the sob of a death-stricken child. Happen, he said next. Happen one o oh yo women folk can't say a bit o' a prayer. Yo re not so for fro safe sand, but yo can reach it. Happen one o oh yo ha a word or two as yo could say, such like as yo teach yo re babbies. Among these was one who had, thank God, thank God. And so, amid wails and weeping. Rough men and little children alike knelt with uncovered heads and hidden eyes while this one woman faltered the prayer that was a prayer for a dying man, and when it was ended, and all rose glancing fearfully at the white line of creeping foam, this dying man for whom they had prayed, lay upon his deathbed of sand the quietest of them all, quiet with a strange calm. Bring me my jacket, he said, and lay it o'er my face. There's a bit o'er posy in T.H. Buttonhole. I get in out O.T.H. Mrs.'s' garden when I come away. I'd like to hold it in my hand if it's there yet. And as the long line of white cane creeping onward they hurriedly did as he told them, laid the rough garment over his face, and gave him the humble dying flowers to hold, and having done this and lingered to the last moment, one after the other dropped away with awe-stricken souls until the last was gone. And under the arch of sunny sky the little shining waves ran up the beach, Chasing each other over the glittering sand, catching at shells and seaweed, toying with them for a moment, and then leaving them, rippling and curling and whispering, but creeping, creeping, creeping. They gave his message to the woman he had loved with all the desperate strength of his dull, yet unchanging nature, and when the man who gave it to her saw her wild, white face and hard set lips, he blundered upon some dim guess as to what that single word might have been. But the sharpest of them never knew the stubborn anguish that, following and growing day by day, crushed her fierce will and shook her heart. She was as hard as ever, they thought, but they were none of them the men or women to guess at the long dormant instinct of womanhood and remorse that the tragedy of this one day of her life had awakened. She had said she would never forgive him, and perhaps her very strength made it long before she did, but surely some subtle chord was touched by those heavy last words, for when, Months later, her first love came back, faithful and tender, with his old tale to tell she would not listen. Nay, lad, she said, I am a feather to blow y th wind. I've had my share o' trouble why men folk, an' I ha' no mind to try again. Him as lies I th churchyard loved me I his way, men folk's way is apt to be a purun, an' I'm wore out why life. Do not come here courting. tack a better woman. But yet there are those who say that the time will come when he will not plead in vain.